Well, uh, welcome everyone. It's just great to see you all and uh, seeing people from New Zealand again. Uh, Katrina and Evan coming in the furthest this time, but also from Canberra, Luke and Kat and Caleb. So awesome to see you guys. Uh, and um, I'm just going to pray for us as we think a bit about this passage from Philippians and ask God to speak to us um, and encourage us. So, Lord God, we um, we do ask that you'll speak to us now, that your Holy Spirit will uh, work in our lives and uh, that you will uh, come and um, tell us exactly what we need to hear right now and uh, Strengthen our faith, fill us with joy, we pray, Lord, and uh, as we trust you in this season, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So um, uh, we're looking at this book of Philippians, and um, if you remember from last week, which you may or may not recall, we talked about the book of Philippians having a, a focus, and uh, the, the sort of the key theme of the book uh, was suffering, Right, And we, we talked about that, and it's kind of appropriate, isn't it, that that is uh, what we look at, but that, that the mood of the book was joy. And it's, it's a tremendous book for us to think about because it's helping us, it's going to help us immensely. And, and I, I know for me already in the last two weeks as I've been preparing these and we've been studying these passages in advance in our small group and I've been hearing God speak to me and encourage me through this, it's been unbelievably helpful for me in my own faith. I've just found it so profoundly encouraging. So this is what the book is about. And uh, in this in this little passage we've got here in front of us, we see um, uh, Paul giving us a, a way to deal with suffering as he helps us see how he has dealt with his own suffering and setbacks. And so it's a sort of a, a bit of an autobiographical passage, but uh, a very powerful in the midst of all of that. And um, it's a three-pointer today, so... Um, it's not a, but it's not a complicated structure, and what we'll see is um, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, Paul's setbacks and suffering, right? And then the second thing we're going to look at is uh, uh, his strategy to deal with these. Oh, and by the way, as I as I go through, I know you're all on your device already, but actually the outline for this is on the um, in the church app. And uh, and there are there are two subpoints under this, which we'll get to, and uh, and then the third thing we'll look at is the, are the results. What happens? What happens in your life when you uh, follow his strategy? Okay, so let's have a think a bit about the uh, the setbacks that and the suffering that Paul has gone through. Well, uh, and it's not hard, right? You see this. The first thing he says um, is, uh, "I want you to know." that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And you go, okay, what's happened? He says, well, I am in chains for Christ. Okay, so he's in jail. We, we did talk a bit about this last week, but the Apostle Paul is in jail for his faith. He's appealed to the Roman emperor to go and uh, be tried in Rome and have his case heard there, and, uh, and he's in jail now. Um, imagine what that would have been like. And... It's, it's not a great experience. And, uh, and apart from just the profound inconvenience and uncertainty and suffering, 
for Paul, it means uh, his, it's, it's like this extraordinary, monumental, professional setback. I mean, how his, his whole identity and calling in life up to this point has been to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he has gone all around the world, uh, all around the Roman Empire, um, preaching the gospel. Uh, he's known all around the empire. He's an activist. He's incredibly hardworking. It's been just years of just ministry and uh, professional, if you want, advancement and fulfillment, like literally as he changes the world. And now all of that has been taken from him. He can't preach to anyone. All he can do is write letters. He can't even Zoom folk. He's just there writing letters um, on manuscripts that have to then be carried around. So it's this massive both suffering but also professional setback. Like everything's been taken away from him. And it it is, uh, I think, highlighted for Paul, as you can imagine, that that it's these are circumstances in which he is actually rendered powerless like he is up against the might of the Roman Empire and he can do nothing about it except submit, bow to the the force of the Roman Empire. He's in chains, he can't break out, he can't he just has to live with this extraordinary sense of powerlessness. Does it does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, we're not in chains, literally, but has not this situation that we're in highlighted for all of us uh, our lack of control over the environment that we're in. I mean, this little virus can suddenly, and and our response can suddenly strip away from us all the illusions that we are the masters of our own destiny, that we're in control of our lives, that we can make life work as we want to, and, and suddenly you realize we can't. Um, the other thing this virus has done, has it not, for many, many, many of us, is it's it's stripped away our professional identity, but not just our professional identity. It's more profound than that, actually. For many of us, it's stripped away from us a lot of things that we use to build our lives on. You know, like it, it suddenly everything we thought really mattered and was important, maybe friendship, maybe career, maybe money, um, maybe status and popularity, maybe food, you know, uh, many, many people, you, you only discover in this lockdown, don't you, how important eating out and cafes and good food and restaurants are, you suddenly all of that is gone. Okay, so that's a, that's a massive setback that Paul has experienced, but, but that's just the first one, right? He experiences some other setbacks, and let's have a look here at the other setbacks. The other setback is um, we see... Uh, it comes not from without. I've just got to reshare this. Uh, the other setback doesn't come just from uh, the uh, the Roman Empire. It actually comes, in some ways, in a far more painful place. The other setback he has is what is verse fifteen. Look at that. It's true that uh, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latters do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So here's Paul. He's, he's struggling, 
And now the very people who should have been with him to help him through the struggles you would have thought are using the situation he's in to take advantage of him. And, uh, and perhaps what they're saying, uh, where we're not sure, they might have been saying, well, look, Paul, clearly, um, you know, uh, perhaps, perhaps there's a, there was, there, well, we know there was, there was division in the early church between those who thought Paul went way too far in um, not being Jewish enough. He was allowing Gentiles to become followers of, the, of Israel's Messiah without going through the whole circumcision, uh, observance of Torah, cultural practices of Judaism, and uh, and many in the church strongly opposed Paul for that. And uh, and so and and in the Roman Empire, perhaps uh, well, we know that the Jews were a sort of a priv- they were privileged. They were given a sort of a uh, they were not forced. Um, for many, many, many years to submit to the Roman polytheistic gods. And and maybe the people are preaching the gospel in order to highlight for the Romans that actually Paul's not Jewish at all. He's, he's, he's beyond, outside of the protection afforded to Jewish people because this is, this is a sect of Judaism. This isn't true Judaism. So, so Romans, you go for it. You, you hammer Paul because he's not one of us. Maybe, maybe that's what they were doing. Um, be that as it may... He is being attacked by people who are closest to him, who should have been on board with him, who were uh, ostensibly fellow ministers of the gospel. And um, that is suffering. That is painful. That is not something that you'd wish on your worst enemy, that betrayal by people who are close to you. And uh, Paul experiences that, and it's uh, it's terrible. And then you go, well, it could get much worse than that, could it? But he goes, actually, you know what? You know what? The final, um, the final setback he's going to experience is. Um, he says, well, look at this, verse twenty. Um, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul knows not just the setback that he's facing and the suffering in jail, not just the suffering caused by the betrayal of other Christians, but when he looks ahead he goes, it's pretty likely I'm going to die. And and it's pretty likely I'm going to die a brutal, horrible death. The Romans had uh, very many ways to kill people in, uh, in ways that were excruciatingly agonizing, from crucifixion to feeding you to the lions when you're alive in the circus, all kinds of ways of torturing you, humiliating you, and killing you. And Paul thinks, hmm, that could happen to me. And that's suffering. That's suffering in advance. That's that's the, the pain of looking at that and going, how am I going to live with that? And what does that future suffering that seems very close and inevitable, how does that, how does that make sense in my life? And so that's the, that's, those are the setbacks and the strategies that Paul has to face. So um, if we go back to our little intro, the setbacks and the suffering, here we go. This is what they are. It's, um, it's chains. He's in chains. He's uh, betrayed, and he's facing death. All right. Now, uh, what's his strategy? Well, his strategy comes in two forms. Firstly, he reframes 
and then he refocuses. So let's let's have a think about that. He reframes uh, the what he's experiencing. And by the way, this is uh, you know you'll see a lot of people who are into this. Um, and uh, here's what he says: I want you to know, uh, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served. Can you see that to do what? It's actually served to advance the gospel. So he looks at the setback, he looks at the suffering, and he says, you know what? You can look at everything that's gone wrong, you can look at at how bad it all is, and on the surface it would seem that being locked up in a Roman jail is is really bad for the preaching of the gospel across the Roman Empire. But he goes, no, no, I can see how God is at work in this. I can see what's happening. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else. I'm in chains for Christ. And the result of this is that the other brothers and sisters, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I mean, this is what's happened. He says, you'd never have thought of it. And, and Paul could be sitting there going, oh, this is terrible. What a waste of my life. You know, there goes my retirement by the Mediterranean in the sort of, you know, early Christian retirement village. Um, it's all gone. And, and maybe he feels like a complete failure. And maybe he was thinking to himself, why on earth did I ever appeal to the emperor? I, I could have just kept my head down and would, all would have been okay. But he goes, you know what? No, I can see that God is at work in this, I can see that he's at work in this, and uh, and that's remarkable. And then he goes on to so that that addresses his current chains. But then look at what he does with the betrayal from the Christians. He says, "Well, it's true, it's true that they're preaching Christ out of envy. I mean, that they're trying to use this situation to make my life even worse." And then look what he says in verse eighteen. Like, how amazing is this? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. He goes, you know, I'm, I, I could look at the betrayal, I could look at the disappointments, and, and they were real, right? Like he doesn't, he's not diminishing it, he's not undermining it, but he's saying in this I can, I can see what really matters. And what really matters is that, that Christ is preached, not whether I do it or whether you do it, not whether someone else does it, but that Christ is preached. Now, uh, what might reframing look like for you and for me? Because um, mo- we, we aren't apostles to the Gentiles, at least I'm, not, I'm looking on the screen now and I'm looking at your faces and I'm, I'm not seeing any of you have a particular calling to be an apostle to the Gentile. But, um, but here's a calling that we all have in common, right? We are all called to become more and more and more like Jesus. We're called to be transformed into the likeness of Christ more and more. And uh, and as we do that, we're called to let that, that Christ-likeness and that light of Jesus shine out into the world, okay? So what you can, you, you face hardship and setback, maybe betrayal, maybe terrible health setback, maybe betrayal from a Christian business partner, maybe a betrayal at work from somebody whose support you relied on and it's professionally devastating. Maybe it's betrayal from somebody very close to you. Maybe it's betrayal by a family member, perhaps your children. Um, 
have have rejected you and no longer speak to you. Maybe it's a partner who's had an affair, a, a marriage that has ended, and the betrayal and the pain and the suffering is enormous. Uh, what reframing looks like is this. You say, you know what, what is it? Whatever, whatever misery and suffering has happened to me, what does it matter as long as it's helping me become more Christ-like? Like everything that happens to us is grist for the mill of transformation into Christ-likeness. Everything. That's how you reframe it. So you go, wow, I, I mean, I, you don't diminish it. You don't minimize it. You don't go, well, that means it was great. You go, no, no, it's terrible. It was horrible. But it doesn't have the power to stop me achieving the most important thing for any of us, which is to become transformed, to become more like Jesus from the inside out. And, and it, it reframes that. It, life is a, life's a battle. We can't avoid suffering. We can't avoid hardship. But what we can do is we can reframe it and we can find that, uh, that the very worst things that could happen to us uh, aren't nearly as bad but, or, in fact, even in God's economy can be the, that's the, that's the arena in which we fight this fight of Christ-likeness. Um, there's a little, uh, a little story I tell in, this, uh, in the marriage education and stuff that I've been doing for years, uh, and it, it goes like this. It's, it's to illustrate reframing. So two little kids, it's Christmas morning, and a little boy and a little girl come running downstairs into the family room to look for the presents before mum and dad are up. And, uh, and when they come around the corner and they look at the Christmas tree, there under the Christmas tree, uh, is a great, huge, big pile of horse manure. And they go, huh? Horse manure? And the, and the little girl just sits down and her head hangs and she goes, oh, look at all that manure. And the little boy's eye looks at it for a moment, then his eyes light up and he runs outside to the shed and he gets a shovel and he comes back in and he starts shoveling away all the horse manure. And, and his sister looks at him and he goes, why are you doing that? And he looks at her and he goes, well, with all that manure, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> Reframing is about finding the pony. It's about in all the manure of life, all the suffering, find the pony, find the good thing in it. And listen, for, for Christian people, if you're a follower of Jesus, the good thing that is always there in every situation that you and I face is that it is an opportunity to work with God to become more like Jesus and then in that situation to let your light shine out into the world. So you, we reframe it. Now the reframing doesn't mean that the manure goes away, but you find the pony and you find in the doing of that a strategy that Paul used to find joy. Because look, look at what he says. Because of this, I rejoice. So uh, he reframes it. And then, you know what he does? He actually refocuses on this because he then looks ahead at his death and he goes, this reframing leads inevitably into a refocusing. And, uh, and it's fascinating. Look at what he refocuses on, right? Um, he refocuses uh, what we find uh, is that he refocuses on others. She says, uh, <laughs> says what, is, what is my life really all about? What is my life all about? And, 
and he everything comes as he looks at death and he looks at the inevitability of this we get to uh, verse 21 which is the most extraordinary verse that will help us in this life uh, this is what he says for me to live is christ and to die is gain this is the ultimate reframing that relies results in a refocus right because he says if i'm to go on in the living in the body this will mean uh, fruitful labor for me, and we'll talk about that. But let's, I, I first came across these verses um, maybe in, in all their power, uh, maybe when I was 18 years old, I'd been a Christian for three years in a very difficult situation, and I heard a, a Christian psychologist called Larry, uh, called Arch Hart uh, preaching on this. So actually it was probably when I was 20. I listened to Arch Hart, and Arch, Archibald Hart talking, a Christian, great Christian psychologist, uh, talking on these verses, and he said this, and, and Hart was a, a leading expert in depression and treating depression. And, uh, and he said depression is part of the process of grief, and he says we need to learn how to grieve in life, and, and we're very bad at dealing with grief and loss, and so we get stuck in a depressive state because we don't have the resources as a culture to grieve. And he took us to verse 21 and he said this, for me to live is Christ, for me, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he said, here's the thing you need to know, people. All of life is loss. <sighs> all of life is loss. And hasn't this COVID epidemic shown us this? Like all of life, everything you have, everything I have in life, you will lose. All of life is loss in you. And then Hart said, looking from this verse, he said, the only thing we truly gain in life is Christ, but in him we gain all things. In him we gain all things. This is what verse 21 means. And I want to give you, I'll, I'll show you how it works. I'm going to give you a little diagnostic. Uh, so I don't know if you've got a bit of paper at home or whatever, but this is, uh, this is you, you, can have a, you can have a crack at this, right? It's not rocket science, okay? Um, Think about your own life. Okay, now, if you, if you think about the inevitability of death, as Paul does, and, and as this pandemic has made clear to us, um, what are you what are you going to put in these lines, right? So, um, if what, what do we what, what might we commonly put in our in our in these lines? To to live is um, well. Sometimes people might say money. To live is money. Well, what happens to money when you die? Well, if if you live to if to live is money, to die is loss because it goes right. Uh, let's think again. To live is, well, let me think about something else. Uh, to live is status, right? How much time and energy do we as a culture, do we spend trying to have people think well of us, climb the ladder corporately, you know, wear the right clothes, sound the right way, have the right number of followers? To me, to live is status. Well, what's the, what does death do to that? Well, it's loss, Okay, so now we're living in the middle of COVID, so we've all realized that these things don't really matter. What really matters, what, what people, haven't you heard people saying this? 
And what I've really realized, I've refocused, COVID has refocused me and, and it's made me realize that family is really what matters. Okay, now these are obviously people who don't have little children at home and they probably, if they did, only said it for the first, you know, <laughs> two days. Um, so for me to live is family, right? But hang on a moment. If you live for your family, death is still loss, isn't it? Like, this is, the, this is the terrible thing about death, is it unpicks the deepest, closest relationships we have. Um, my father's died, my mother's died, and my brother's died. And if I had been living for them, if my life was family, uh, what I'm left with is just devastating loss. And here's the thing. My wife will die. My own children will die. I will die. And if my life is family, then death is loss. Tragic, devastating loss. Catastrophic uh, end of everything that's meaningful. But look at what Paul says. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he says there is a way of living there is a way of living that doesn't lead you to uh, kind of massive depressive states, uh, but actually enables you to find joy even in the midst of uh, suffering and the inevitable death that we all face. And that is to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, I, you know, I don't know if you... If you've ever thought about it this starkly, and maybe um, maybe you don't want to, and maybe it's a bit confronting, and maybe it's a bit hard, maybe it's a bit stark, but, but it is stark. This is what Paul says. If you want the recipe to live a lie in, in all the suffering and the hardship and our inevitable death, and you want to live in this world with joy, then you've got to reframe everything that happens then you've got to refocus your life and say, what my life is about is Jesus Christ. Everything else goes is taken from me. But if I embrace Jesus Christ, then actually, you know what? Everything is given back to me. To die is gain. It's not the end. Death is not the end for those of us who follow Jesus. It's just the beginning. Death is just a, just a, a step from this world uh, into the next. In fact, the next world has already begun. Death is just a transition into a world of glory and perfection where everything that we long for, everything, everything that we hold on to that gets taken from us, money and status and sex and pleasure and food and relationships and family uh, and work and beauty and justice and truth, all these things that we hold on to, if Christ is our life, and all these things are taken away from us by death, but if Christ is our life, we actually gain all of those things in the world to come. And so dying is gain. And the result of this, well, what's the result? Uh, the result is amazing. The result is joy, right? Joy and growth. Here it is. The result is joy and growth. So he says... Um, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So what does he do? He says, well, I can keep on living, and, and living, I'm going to do fruitful labor. 
And you know what's going to happen? Fruitful labor is going to be that uh, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So here's how we live in this world, in this season, if we want joy, is we embrace Christ as our life. And then if while we still live, we give ourselves to fruitful labor, to serving other people so that they will continue to progress and enjoy joy in the faith. So your life and my life is really about loving and serving others so that they can grow in their faith in God, their love of God, and that they can find increasing joy. So how about that? What does your week hold? Are you going to find a way this week to live and work in the world so that others grow in their faith and grow in their joy? Like That's the fruit of our work, is that people grow in their joy in the faith. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church? And isn't it great to be part of a church where that is how we frame our lives, how we focus our lives, and how we live. So that is it, dear friends. I am done. You are done. Your kids are probably done. Let me pray, and uh, and then we'll um, uh, hand over to um, Joel, who's going to lead us in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you that if we live for you, though we die, yet we live that if you are our life, then death is gain. Help us, Lord God, in the sufferings that we will face uh, and the setbacks to trust you, to reframe everything we encounter and experience as an opportunity to become more Christ-like and then to refocus our lives on you. And doing all of that, may the result be that each and every one of us on this call becomes more and more like Jesus, that we make progress in the faith, that we help others make progress in the faith, and that we are more and more full of joy in our faith. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.